I want to go back to I want to go back to Matthew 21 this week and hanging out there for a and hanging weeks, out there for a couple weeks, but just want to share some more just want to share some more thoughts from there. I feel like in this particular I feel like passage, in this particular passage that the people got things, right, people got things right emotionally, even though they hadn't even though they hadn't figured it out in their minds. In their minds. They, they didn't really they, they understand, didn't the, really prophetic understand the prophetic bent of this, but they were celebrating they something, were celebrating that, they something really that they, sure they were really weren't sure what they were celebrating. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for me in that because I like to have things figured out before I let my emotions get put into it. And and in this, case, in this case, most of them had no most clue, had no really clue what was happen. really going to happen. And yet they're doing, the right, they're doing the right thing in that moment. I just find that intriguing. I just find that intriguing. Um, Jesus had, um, sent, Jesus two had sent two of the disciples into a village ahead of them and asked them to go get a, a donkey uh, colt. And he said, it'll be tied up. You just go take it. And if somebody asks you, say the master needs them. You get arrested. I'm you not get going arrested. No. I'm not going to, it no. Just, you it wonder just, about it, right? You wonder about it, right? But somehow but it worked. Somehow it worked. And, and you know, the prophecy from the past is being fulfilled, is being in, that fulfilled moment, in that moment, even though they don't recognize it. Recognize it. And the reason I, I know that I know that these guys got it these later. Guys got it later. And when you look at these and books, you look I mean, these we're, books in I mean, we're in Matthew 21, this part of the story, this part to, the of the story to the end, you have the seven chapters, so a full quarter of the book is devoted to the last week and the resurrection. And the resurrection. So, so again, that's a again, significant, that's a portion, significant of book, right? portion of the book, right? It's basically it's that way in all the books. Way in in all fact, the books. In Gospel fact, of John, Gospel of John, chapter eleven. When chapter eleven, when this story takes place, it might be twelve. But again, you're looking at almost half of that book involved in that last involved in that last week. So that said, they that said, understood they the significance, understood the of, it significance later, of it later. Even though initially, even though initially, they're just kind of going with kind of going with the flow. And so Jesus, and so, you know, Jesus fulfills the prophecy you know, fulfills of the past. Says, tell, the the past says, tell the people of Zion, look, your king is coming look, to you. Your king is coming unassuming to you. and seated on a donkey. Seated on a donkey. Colt the full of a donkey. The full of a donkey. This comes out of Zechariah nine nine. So hundreds of years, hundreds of years previous. Declaration of declaration made. And they saw it fulfilled. Saw right it fulfilled eyes. right in front of their eyes. So that so said, that people said, start putting people their start putting their down on the ground, and down on the ground, and, and home leaves, and, and they're heading into and they're heading into this and town, and it it is a it, big it is a big celebration. Now the numbers now, for that numbers for that day how many were living in Jerusalem how many were living in Jerusalem and how many were coming in how many were coming in. There's lots of conjecture. But you might hear phrases like there were 50,000 people living in the town, but it might have as many as 250,000 coming in for the celebration. You can imagine what would happen here here with five times the population coming in, right? I mean, mean, (laughs) we live... We live right near 3rd Street, Street, so whenever the students students come into town, we know it. But... You can but imagine you five, can imagine times, the five times the population, in. quarter of a million people possibly, coming into Jerusalem. And all of this big hubbub taking place. And, and so the crowd is, 
they're excited. You know, this is a big deal. And they're celebrating, and, and now they're doing things with Jesus, but they're not, not fully sure what's even happening. They're shouting, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And in some ways, they're saying, who is this guy? And there's been this hope in them for centuries that a messianic figure, a king would come and write everything and set it in place. And so they're looking and going, is this it? Is this the guy? And, you know, the, the, the huge crowd is coming into town, and they're thinking, what a great time to, for this announcement. What an awesome season. We're going to get to participate in this, whatever this is. You know, it's, it's a celebration. They're just, they're hoping maybe he's going to take over politically and start ruling. So they're watching this and, you know, they're participating, but none of them is clear as to the full significance of it. Um, one of the verses that I thought of as I was chewing on this, even for a small town person coming into Jerusalem, remember when the disciples were talking to Jesus and going, look at that temple. Look at that thing. Look at the size of the stones. You know, and Jesus tells them, well, tear it all down and I'll build it in three days. You know, he's declaring it about himself. But he's looking at the temple, and they would have seen some amazing stuff. I mean, there were pillars 85 feet tall, so you're talking eight stories at least, right? You know, that's, that's a tall pillar even in this day. And there, the, uh, the temple mount... Um, it never got full. I mean, it, the one wall was about four and a half football fields long, that, that whole area where people could be. So that's a good-sized place. There was a spot where you could look down because it's on top of this mountain, 450 feet. You know, it's It's impressive. And all this excitement about coming into town. And, and they were celebrating three different feasts. Um, they had the Passover. Remember, that's when they were set free as a people from Egypt. And then they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They, they had, had to leave, but they didn't get to put yeast in their bread. And that's different than our day. I, most of you don't even make bread, right? But there is a process. <laughs> you can make it yourself, believe it or not. And what's closest to what they had was like our sourdough bread. And they would, they would put stuff together, and the warmth and the yeast that was in the air would eventually make a, a sourdough. And then they could take starter each time and put it together. Well, you don't want that stuff bubbling and, and expanding while you're on the road, right? It, it wouldn't make sense at all. And, and so they had to leave. Without, but what they took that on for themselves in this seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread, they, it was a time to, for purification, you know, getting rid of stuff. It was a time to start fresh. And, and so this would have been part of the religious thinking, so to speak, as they 
participated in this celebration. Then finally, it was also the time of the first fruits. The barley harvest had come in, and so they were saying, this is a sample of God's provision once again for us. You take that into our own setting, and it's like we look at the Passover and saying, that sacrificial lamb has brought us new life. It's brought us our salvation. There's, the sacrifice was made for our sin, taking us out of the slavery of sin and setting us free. So there's imagery that we've pulled into this as well, right? And the whole idea of the unleavened bread, it's like there's an opportunity for a new start, for a purification of our lives to, to just begin again. What an awesome thing that is. And then finally, the first fruits is like, it's this thing indicating, yes, we can live a fruitful life in God. So we have this imagery that we carry on in this season. And they're kind of walking through their own imagery of that day. But I want to note that Jesus, in some ways, is fulfilling this thing in a way that was unanticipated. So when, when he goes through and he cleanses the temple, that's one of the scenes shown in this chapter, it's almost like getting rid of the yeast. You know, he's, he's saying, I don't want all this business going on here. I want this to be called a house of prayer. I want people to be able to find God here. I don't want it just be about business. And he goes on and, and uh, he begins... Uh, and just while I'm on this, it's like, okay, how do we make this a house of prayer? You know, there's been a lot said of recent times, you know, the prayer day and night, and, and I don't know, that's one of the pictures of the church. It's not the full picture. But one of the things that I was chewing on with this is like, when we talk about prayer, even in, in praying together, what what are we attempting to accomplish? What's our hope? I'll just point out a couple things. When Jesus was teaching on prayer, he encouraged persistence. He encouraged people to just get at it and keep after it. You know, it's like when, when we talk about persistence with kids, we're saying, I want you to be persistent with everyone except me. And then I want you to listen to me the first time, right? It's, it's one of those things where it's a mixed bag for a parent. For Jesus to declare that about the Father and say, just keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. Who does that? Except that he's saying, I really treasure that. And then... Then he goes on and he starts to define his, and he can, and in some ways he's saying, here's one of the things to keep asking for. Because oftentimes, you know, even as a parent, you get asked things and you're going, I cannot give you this. It'd be disastrous for you. But here's one of the good things. He says, the Father will give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him. And then again, you're going, well, what does that mean? but that the presence of God would be in your life. There's opportunity for new life by His Spirit. There's opportunity for your character to be changed by His Spirit. 
There's opportunity for gifts to be a part of your life that are a result of His Spirit. And, and you look at that and say, that is new life, isn't it? That's the opportunity for change. Even in this time, Jesus says, I want it to be a house of prayer. And the teachers of the law come to him and say, do you hear what these children are doing? They're shouting Hosanna and they're running around. And, you know. <laughs> and he says, well, you know that the scripture says, out of the mouths of children and nursing infants, you've prepared praise for yourself. So again, he goes back to the scripture, but he's also saying what they're doing is a good thing. And again, you know, we're, we're looking at that and saying he appreciated what was going on in that temple setting in the way of this praise as well. So I, I look at these things, and, and one of the, 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 the challenges for me is, okay, if this is a, if this is a picture, and I'm to glean some things from it for myself, where am I supposed to go with this? And in some ways, you know, people caught up in the emotion of the day, gawking at the buildings, you know, looking at the crowds and going, have you ever seen such a thing? This is amazing. And yet, that's not the focal point of what's really transpiring. Is that Jesus knows that he's walking to his death. The, the, the Pharisees and teachers of the law have already decided they're going to kill him. And he's been warned, and yet he's marching to it. And he's going to fulfill these feasts in a way they didn't dream possible. But I, I was looking and I'm going, I think I'd be fully caught up in the distraction just as well. And the question comes to my mind is like, what distracts me now from really getting the message of God? I had a dream a few weeks ago that I considered a, a spiritual dream for myself. At least it identified something that I needed to consider. And I'll share it with you um, because it was just unique. And I, uh, in my dream, I was smoking a cigarette and there's kind of a cloud of smoke around me. And you, you should probably know that um, the only time that I ever picked up a cigarette, I was in sixth grade, picked the butt up off the ground, took a deep inhale, and went, yuck, I don't need this. And that was the last, that was the last time I ever touched that. It just had no interest for me. Now, I'm grateful that I didn't get caught up in that because I just don't think it all that healthy for people, right? So there's fogs around me, and I'm not thinking anything of it. It's just like, okay. In my dream, it's just like, whatever, you know. I'm, and later, why would I, why would I do that? And why would this dream be this way? And I felt like what was coming to me is that I was allowing me to, myself to get distracted by some stuff that really wasn't, wasn't going to destroy me, but in the moment, too, it wasn't particularly good. That's the way I perceive it. And it was like, 
oh, and like there was a book that I was reading that it, I had wrestled with, do I keep into this thing or not? You know, and in that moment I'm going, I hate not finishing stuff I start. So it's like, I don't really need it. You know, might as well get that smoke away from me. And I guess the reason I share that is because for any of us, there are distractions that can keep us from really honing in on what's important in life, right? Um, the whole electronic thing is so amazing in our day and so wonderful but there are so many ways to get caught up in things that really don't matter, right? Or even things that are destructive. And it's one of those times where you have to go, okay, but is this taking me down a healthy path? Or even with our kids, is this taking them where they need to go? Or is this kind of, is this just smoke hanging around our heads that really is not of any benefit? You know, and it, it's, it's those kind of things that I, I look at. The people, you know, they were caught up in, have you ever seen a building like that? You know, <laughs> look at all the people. This is crazy. And yet, Jesus was there in their midst. And he was fulfilling the very thing that he was called to do. And the thing that had been designed for the ages and I'm going, okay, Lord, help me not just to gawk at things. Help me not just to, you know, spend all my time looking. But to realize there are significant things to pursue. Well, this passage goes on, and, and we had looked at the fig tree, and there is a there is an amazing call to faith within that, even though Jesus is cursing the tree and it's dying. And you can say, well, it wasn't fruitful, and God doesn't like a lack of a fruitful life. But also, Jesus was making a strong declaration that if you'll function in faith, you can do just about anything. Or any, I, I shouldn't say just about. He said, you can do anything. I'll leave it there. Then he goes to the passage of the two sons, and again, the, Jesus the, explains the story immediately and says, tax collectors and prostitutes are getting into the kingdom of heaven because they're responding to the message. And essentially, he's saying, this is available to anyone, but we have to respond. And then finally, he tells a story of some renters that uh, the landowner gets everything ready for farming and, and the vineyards and such, and then he rents it out to these guys, and they don't want to pay him anything. And eventually, they kill the people he sends to collect the rent, and then his son... And it's easy to say, whoa, that's talking about Jesus. You know, that's, they're a refusal to acknowledge the hand of God in creation, a refusal to, to see his oversight and putting everything in place and to, to live a life for him. 
You know, it, it just, it's there. And, and then, but Jesus makes this comment at the end of the chapter, and I, I wanted to at least read it. It says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. For us, we get to look back and see all of that and say, it fit together so amazing. All these Old Testament prophecies lining up through the person of Jesus. All of this done for our salvation and new life in Him. What a wonderful thing. It's marvelous. And we say, yep, he got it right. That scripture that was prophesied in Psalm 118, it's marvelous in our eyes? Absolutely. And that's what we're about. So, again, this is uh, Palm Sunday. I miss not having Kurt here because he always bailed me out on holidays. But you got your Palm Sunday message. <laughs> Lord, we thank you that you bring new life to us. We thank you that you fulfilled Scripture, even though those around you didn't understand what was going on. We thank you that all of us can participate in this. We see that with joy in our lives. Amen. What if this was to be your season of unleavened bread? What would that look like? Jewish tradition with the Passover meal, even continuing on into today, there's a tradition where they'll send the children to look through the house for pieces of leaven, and uh, things will be hidden, and they'll find it and bring it. And the idea being that we're going to purging the house of all of that. And in some ways, it's almost like there are times when we need a, a purging to just, you know, start fresh. Um, if you live up here very long, you begin to appreciate winter. One of the things of winter is just that a new snow is almost like everything's clean again. And uh, I looked out the window last night, and things were white. And it was like, oh, it looks clean. You know? And, and you know, this can be that season in the Lord. Say, so just, I'm like a, I'm like a fresh so to speak, you know, release some of the junk and just start fresh. And that's a privilege that we have in the Lord. So what does that look like for you? I guess that's the question. I want to pray for God's blessing on you. Just ask that you be here. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to start fresh in you see your power working through them. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with a supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.